0: All right, so number 69, Armageddon, tragedy and glory. It's uh, two sides of a coin here, so it just depends on which side of the the equation you're on. Either it's a glorious experience for those of us that are returning with the Lord, uh, or for the tribulation saints who are looking for Him and expecting Him, or it is a tragic event. Uh, for those who thought they could oppose God and somehow triumph. So we see as we come to uh, this passage uh, that this is a powerful time that God is, is showing us here. And as I've said in other lessons, John gives us a very brief view of things that are sometimes laid out in much broader perspective in other passages we'll make some references to those but um, again we're not going back to study all of the prophecies and all of the things that apply to this end time event we're wanting to look at it just simply as John saw it here in the revelation so uh, we talk about the word apocalyptic and apocalyptic to most people means catastrophic catastrophic If they say it's an apocalyptic situation or event or whatever, they're thinking major, major catastrophe, something horrendous, something appalling, something that is uh, destructive. Uh, If you see pictures, films, whatever, of the conditions of post World War II Germany, uh, you think, okay, that's an apocalypse, right? So you think that's what that means. a small town after a tornado has come through. Um, some of us around here may be familiar with some of those things. New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, a couple of things I wrote down there in your notes, or present day Ukraine. And uh, you look at that and you say, that's, that's apocalyptic. And because that's what we have made that word to mean. And of course it comes from the book of Revelation, this apocalypse, uh, because that's actually the title of the book. This is, we call it the book of Revelation, Uh, it's actually the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And apocalypse doesn't mean destruction, it doesn't mean catastrophe, it means to reveal. Just as I was saying with the baptism, if you pull back the... uh, the black table covering that is over the horse trough out there, you'll see that it's, you know, what it is. So this book, the Apocalypse, pulls back the curtain so that we can see the glory of our God. So we can see his triumph, we can see his rule, we can see his, his power, that he is the one who is Uh, For lack of another term, a better term, manipulating everything. He's the one who evaluated the churches and gave his opinions, told them what they needed to correct, or acknowledge them for what they were doing well. And then we see from the heavenly view, as John starts in chapter 4, if you look on your chart... After the church age is the rapture. And the rapture is all of the church being taken into heaven. And that's Revelation chapter 4 and onward. And so the church, those who are born again from the day of Pentecost up until the day of the rapture, uh, they are all taken into heaven. And they are there brought before the Bama seat for judgment, which is a judgment of rewards, either lost or gained rewards, then uh, they are in heaven with the Lord forever. Not just for the seven years of the tribulation or the thousand years of the millennium, but all the way through into eternity, uh, the believers will be with the Lord, the church. But during this period of time, the Lord then begins to uh, bring forth his perfect plan for the end of times, and it begins with the seals, and it is opening the seals. Who is worthy to open the seals? The Only Jesus, the Lamb, can open those seals and reveal what is in them, and he opens the seals one by one. Then he begins to give orders in different Uh, situations take place upon the earth and those are the trumpets and the trumpets blow and different things are announced and there's more and the Lord is behind all of the operation of that. Yeah we see Antichrist, we see the devil, uh, we see different situations occurring. They are there but on the stage they're actually minor characters. It is the Lord who is behind everything. And the rebellion is only because God has allowed it. And all of the operations of Satan are only there because God has allowed them. And he's given him those, uh, those opportunities. Men are only allowed to rebel as God has allowed it. You can rebel so far, but you can't change God's purpose and plan. You can't decide to be saved another way. You can't choose someone else to be your messiah you can't alter the perfect plan and the operation of god you can't and so all of these things god sits behind all of this and so during this seven years of the tribulation which is what we've been looking a lot at um these seven years all of these horrendous things take place and as as we have talked about several times in our lessons Part of all of that is to purge the earth of all of the evil that's in it. Creation is suffering under the fall of man. And Adam's fall brought forth devastation not only in his life, but also in all of creation. So creation groans to be released. All of creation is straining against these things and is oppressed by the sinful activity of mankind, which has brought about all these horrendous things on the earth. God is purging all of that. So that by the time we get to the millennium, the end of the seven years, God has purged the earth of all the evil. So that for a thousand years, it's a glorious earth. Peaceful. The the, the predators don't prey upon the prey. The, the lamb lays down with a wolf, and uh, there's no dangers to mankind, no floods, no hurricanes, no volcanoes, earthquakes don't exist. All of this thousand years of peace, why? Because God has purged the earth of all the influence of man's sin, and creation groans to be released, longs to be released looks forward to be released from all of that. So when we think apocalypse, we're actually just talking about revealing what God wants to do. So if we call this book by the Greek title, The Apocalypse, then we're really explaining what God is going to do. He's pulling back the veil so we can get a look. We don't get to go there yet. Just because you pull back the veil doesn't mean that you get to be there. You pull back the the curtains and you look outside doesn't mean you get to go outside. You're still under COVID, whatever, quarantine. Yeah, so, you know, you can't go out there, but you can look. God is just showing us his glory, his power, his majesty. Yeah, we see a lot of evil. We see a lot of destruction. But again, who's that against? Against all mankind and their rebellion. Against man and all of his wickedness. Against unrighteousness and all those things and all of the effects of those things upon the earth. So, this apocalypse brings forth this time. Is there destruction during this period of time yeah are there catastrophes yeah but that's not the purpose of the book the purpose is to reveal Jesus Christ now when we talk about apocalypse we come to Armageddon and if there's anything that in the world's definition of apocalypse this is it A battle that is so savage and so horrendous that it's described in ways that are beyond our ability to fully comprehend. But a battle that's over in seconds. So, we read this story. Revelation chapter 19, verse 17. Paul said, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth That's all the rest of mankind, except for the believers. And all the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. All right. If, in the world's view, apocalypse means catastrophe, that's it. A one-time event that is so overwhelming that there is not a man left standing except those who are believers now if you look at your chart what happens at the second coming that is as the Lord returns in this battle of Armageddon right so here we are so there's a battle of of Armageddon that is the second coming of Christ and at that same time all of the resurrected uh, tribulation martyrs and the saints and so they're all raised from their graves and they're all raptured into heaven those believers who were alive on the earth and lived through the tribulation or became believers minutes before the second coming right Any of those who were believers who are alive on the earth when the Lord returns, they will go into the millennium, and they will be the ones who will be populating the earth and carrying on uh, upon the earth during that time we know as the thousand-year reign or the millennium. Where's the church? Where are the believers? With the Lord. We're with Him in heaven. We're with him as an army following behind him. We don't even get to draw our swords. We don't even get to have a pea shooter. We don't have anything. We've got nothing. We aren't even asked to fight. We're not even invited into the fight. We just watch, and if you blink, you'll miss it because it's over. And then there's the result, and the result is horrendous. Now last week, and in some other weeks, we've, we read from the books of Isaiah, the books of, of Zechariah, um, different Old Testament passages about the coming of the Lord, about the battle that he's going to fight. We're not going to go back and look at those again, but if you want to go back in the lessons and look at some of those things, you can go back earlier in uh, this 19th chapter, um, the verses that start around verse 11. And we talk about all those things that are taking place and yes, there is a massive army. There are all these nations that are gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. And there are those, and He is going to wage war against them again with His word, by His words. He will slay them. And the descriptive phrase that is used is, He is going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Does God have wrath? Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord Jesus is going to tread the winepress of that in the sense as the pictures are shown, both in the book of Revelation, uh, a robe dipped in blood, and then from Old Testament passages, especially Isaiah, where his garments are stained, and he's asked how they got stained, and it is because he was treading the winepress, and the blood has covered his garment. So it's a a pretty horrific picture, and these are things that are described in some ways that are almost grotesque. How, How can this be godly? And then there's this phrase, I hope you caught it as I was reading through there, to the great supper of God, eat the flesh of kings and captains, it's like, what is this? <laughs> this, is, this is not any supper I want to be invited to. You're right. <laughs> you don't. In fact, no one is really invited to this. They're just left to it. They're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb during the church age. If you become a believer during the church, you get to be a part of the marriage Supper of the Lamb, you are the Bride. And during the Tribulation, you're invited to become a guest. And so, Tribulation Saints who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or believe in the Messiah, if they're Jewish, as they are coming and accepting Jesus Christ, they get an invitation as a guest to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. So either you're the Bride or the Guest, and that's that's a wonderful Supper. This one not so much so we're going to uh, look at some of the things that are taking place first of all I want you to notice the phrase we've talked about this phrase several times but bottom of your page then I saw then I saw and in the next two chapters we're going to see this phrase then I saw or and I saw over and over and the purpose of this reference then I saw is to validate the reality of what John is seeing it's not just some almost uh, ethereal vision it's not something out there that's mystical and and not certain he saw this I saw and John can boldly say I saw now I don't know about you but I'd like to have been there on the boat or on the dock I mean when his boat from Patmos docked you know, and he came back and he said let me tell you what I just saw I'd love to have been in that meeting and I'd been asking more questions and you know what he would have said can't tell you He saw things he's not allowed to tell us. We we read those passages. He saw things that he can't explain. Things he asked the angel about, and the angel kind of explained them, and then it's like, okay, that's more confusing. So there's all manner of things, and John must have been so full of this glorious energy of God as I told you, I think another time, I I recorded the, the entire New Testament um, of the J.B. Phillips translation, the New Testament in modern English, and I recorded that. Uh, it's on cassettes. <laughs> yeah, at least it's not eight tracks, but actually, no, it has been burned to CDs, but then you still got to index them and find all anyway, but I recorded it. And recording was, was a lot of fun. And I remember the morning that I was going to read the Revelation. I'd read it several times. I sat down and read through it and read through it and read through it so I could say the phrases and say the words and, and not lose track of things. And I tell you, I got into this and I felt so energized when I got done <laughs> with this book. It was, where's the water? I want to walk. You know, where's the wall I want to walk through? Um, it It was a glorious experience. So try reading the book of Revelation outside to yourself, out loud to yourself. I mean, just try it. Just do it. You will be amazed at what you find as you read this book aloud. So he says, this is what I saw. This is what I saw. And so we'll start at the bottom of your page one, verse 11 through 16. He saw what? He saw heaven opened. So he sees heaven open. He sees the omnipotent Christ, also called the Word of God. And he sees him as he descends from heaven in all of his glory, followed by this army, too much to number, of people dressed in gleaming white. All right, top of page two, the second second time he says, and I saw. In verses 17 and 18, and I saw. And here he sees an angel who calls all the carrion-eating birds, that is scavengers, to gather to consume the flesh of the mass of those slain by the words of jesus christ so he calls all the birds to come and all of those who are scavengers to come and eat the flesh of all of those who have perished at the battle of armageddon and uh, all persons who are not believers who are alive on the face of the earth at that time will be slain that's a lot of people not just the army Then in chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, he sees the beast and the false prophet captured and thrown into the lake of fire, which is also called Gehenna, eternal hell. And then he sees all the armies of the earth gathered against the Christ, and he sees them slain by the words that come from Jesus' mouth. The next I saw is in chapter 20, verse 1. He sees an angel sees satan who is also called the dragon the ancient serpent the devil and he sees him place him in the bottomless pit now this is not hell this is like the lowest dungeon before you get to hell alright so the bottomless pit also called the abyss where satan will be bound for one thousand years Chapter 20, verse 4, I saw thrones being set up. And the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints were raised to life. So he sees all the Old Testament saints raised to life. They receive resurrection bodies. And all the martyrs who died during the tribulation, they receive resurrection bodies. And they reign with Christ for the thousand years during the millennium. So he sees, how do you see a thousand years? You have to be sitting in an eternal state where he can see what is taking place over this vast amount of time. And then in chapter uh, 20 he also says, and I saw the rest of the dead those who are not believers in the Messiah who were not to be raised until the white throne judgment all the rest of these who were not believers who had not accepted the Messiah or Jesus Christ he sees them all waiting in a place of I guess preparation for judgment chapter 20 verse 7 He sees to the end, then I saw at the end of the thousand years, he saw Satan released for a period of time and he comes out of the abyss and he goes for a brief time to deceive the nations. And so during the millennium nations had been established all around the earth, all ruled by Christ and under Christ ruled by Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, and we the church. And all of this is being ruled. But there's a period of time when God removes his rule, releases Satan, and rebellion takes place immediately. And so we'll talk more about that when we get to that chapter. And then a great number of those. It's not just a few. It's a vast army of those who have been under the rule of Christ in a a state of peace and prosperity and provision for a thousand years, as soon as they have a chance, they rebel. They form an army, and they come against the holy city and against the Messiah. And with a word, they are destroyed. The battle's over. And Satan at this time is taken and himself thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. Then in chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne set up and Jesus Christ seated upon it. So he sees this throne of judgment. Now, we as believers, the church, faced, on your little chart, we faced a Bema seat, B-E-M-A, the Greek word which means reward place, the reward bench. It can be for civic awards, military awards, athletic awards, there's all kinds of awards. But it's also a place where you can be corrected. You can lose your reward. You can lose your citizenship. And so the, the Bema was a place where it was, it was rewards. It wasn't judgment for prison. It wasn't any of those things. It was just, these are things you did good for us or you didn't do good for us. So We as believers will face that kind of judgment. Judgment of our rewards. Judgments of what we have done with what God has given us. But we will not face the white throne judgment because those who are Facing the white throne judgment are all those who were dead in the Lord. Dead, not dead in in the Lord, dead without the Lord. Who had not become believers. Who were part of the rebellion. Who joined with the Antichrist. Who took the the number, the sign. Who worshipped the beast and the false prophet and fell under all of that, who joined the armies of rebellion against the Lord and against His Christ, who persecuted and tortured and put to death believers from Old Testament all the way through to the end of the tribulation. All of those will stand before the White Throne Judgment. All of them. And there's one thing that makes a difference. Either your name's in the book of life of the Lamb of God or it's not it's in there or it's not if your name is in there it's because you've been a believer in the Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah believing for the Messiah and so you lived your life or you died believing in the Messiah Isaiah, David, so many others or during the church age or during the tribulation you believed in Jesus Christ that he was the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. You believed those things. You are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. You will not face the white throne judgment, but all those who have not believed will. And no one whose name is not in the book, no one will be accepted into heaven. Because when your name's not in the book, They turn to the books of works. Thank God we are not being judged by our works. We can be rewarded for our works, but not judged by them. We've been judged in Christ and found righteous. Thank God. (laughs) Judged and found redeemed. And so God has accepted us. Through Jesus Christ why because we're in Christ but those who are not in Christ those who are not believers will be judged by their works we'll talk more about that when we look at the white throne but all those whose names are not in the book of life are judged by their works and none of those judged by their works will live they will all be cast into the lake of fire and then finally death and Hades the grave itself are cast into the lake of fire So, (laughs) that's that's a lot of stuff that John saw. And that's just these two chapters that are coming. So let's just get a little bit further into the things in the passage from tonight. We go back to to chapter 19 and verse 17, bottom of your page 2. I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Standing in the sun... Uh, it almost indicates that he was between you and the sun. So this, this glorious angel is almost obscured by the, the sun itself. Do you ever try to stare into the sun? Yeah, it's that time of year. You pull up to a traffic light about 7.30 in the morning, and the sun is right where the traffic light is. And it is nearly impossible. How many is with me on that? <laughs> and there's not a pair of sunglasses in the world that will let you see that light. So you wait for the person behind to honk or horn at you or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but this angel is standing and he's crying with a loud voice. This is so that all of the earth will hear. So this voice is to cover all of the earth with a loud voice. He called not to people but to the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh. Yeah. So what is this? This is universal destruction. This is all those who came in opposition to God, opposition to the Christ, who've rejected God, who have taken the sign of the beast, who have accepted and worshipped the beast, who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, all of those will be slain by the word of his mouth. Not just the army that is coming, but all those. And so this universal judgment, and it's not just in one location. I know we talk about the Battle of Armageddon, which has to do with the Valley of Megiddo, and it's a wide plain in kind of north-central Israel. Um, But you couldn't put all of the population of the earth in, in that valley. But all over the earth, people will be judged. So that his judgment is declared not just for those who were standing right there. Well, I didn't join that army, so I'm good. Not if you didn't believe in Jesus Christ, you're not good. So only those who have believed will stand through this period of time. Now, this this same situation is also referred to in a couple other passages in Revelation. Look at the bottom of your page, too. Revelation chapter 14, verse 17 says, uh, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who, was, who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So in chapter 14, it, it's like we're getting a preview of what's going to take place in chapter 19. And it's, that happens several times in the book of Revelation. Then look at verse 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Again, a reference to what just was said back in the verses uh, from last week. And this winepress of the wrath of God. Verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, and that is about 200 miles. (laughs) That's that's a lot of blood, right? And that's a lot of blood. And this is all of those who have come massed in this army. But all around the earth, this same judgment is falling. People on the other side of the earth don't get it easy. You say, well, man, I'm glad I don't live around Israel. (laughs) You know, I'm on an island somewhere out in the Pacific. I'm safe. Yeah. No, you're not. Not at all. And so, if you don't believe, you will be judged. Revelation chapter 16 gives us another mini view of this, a preview of what's in chapter 19. Revelation 16, verse 13 says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. All right, that's a beautiful picture. Verse 14, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them, listen, to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. They are calling these ones to battle, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. All right, so all these armies come, this is, a, this is like a focal point, but the same thing will be taking place all over the earth as those who have not believed are found and judged. Other references uh, that we've looked at in the Old Testament help us to see um, that the Messiah's coming is not just local, it's universal. Here are some of the things, those are my points. The Messiah was proclaimed everywhere. See, the gospel was to be preached throughout the whole earth. Is that true? And so the Messiah has been proclaimed everywhere. So keep that word everywhere in your mind. The judgments of the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. So we looked at all of those, starting in chapter 6 all the way through chapter 17. We saw... All these judgments being poured out one after another after another, and all these judgments and they occurred where everywhere it wasn't just in one little location it was <clears throat> everywhere the beast's image was to be worshipped everywhere, and so it was declared that he would be worshipped everywhere his head his his image was put up many places throughout the earth, so that he would be worshipped everywhere the messiah's return will be seen where everywhere Everywhere. every eye shall see him every eye Mm -hmm. and so again his return will be everywhere and then finally the nations of the earth arrayed against the messiah yeah the focal point is megedo but the same effect is taking place throughout the whole earth. Their defeat is realized everywhere. The next thing he does is he calls for, i got some coffee over here, just a second. Excuse me. That's better. Okay, he calls for the carrying birds. Now we think of eagles, we like eagles. We get eagles on our walls, eagles on our rings, eagles on books. <clears throat> we like eagles, but you know our bald eagle, our national symbol. He's more of a scavenger than he is a hunter. Sorry to destroy your image, <clears throat> but it's just true. And if he can steal somebody else's fish or food, he'll do it because it's easier. To steal yours and catch his own. So that's just what happens with eagles. I know. Those are not the images you want. So I'll move on to other kinds of birds. <clears throat> vultures. In fact, the word translated eagle in most references in the Old and New Testament is better translated vulture. Because they are carrying, eating birds. They are the vultures <clears throat> of the earth. The largest bird in the world, the condor, is a Vulture, ravens. Quoth the raven, "What the raven say? Nevermore." Ravens, crows, scavengers. They'll eat anything. And what else? Most your seabirds, gulls, all kinds of things. They're scavengers. They'll find any dead thing, any garbage. We got we got seagulls that feed on our parking lot out here. If you leave something, seagulls are there tomorrow morning. What is is it with these? They are ridding the earth of dead flesh. Mm -hmm. So as these birds are called forth, the vultures, he calls them to come forth. And as disgusting as this may seem, the purpose is to eat all the dead flesh which is incredible amount everywhere everywhere and it's necessary to remove all this dead flesh but God established this from the time of the fall at the time of the fall these birds devolved can I use that word they devolved into carrion eating flesh eating scavengers that's not the way they were created, but that's what they have become. And this will be their final opportunity. Now, what about this phrase, the great supper of God? Well, this isn't like you're going to sit down with God and eat the flesh. And this is not God yeah. eating the flesh. This is the, the supper appointed by God, offic- officially designated by God God determined that this supper would take place this consuming of all the dead flesh of those from around the earth And so this is God's purpose there was a marriage supper of the lamb you could have been invited to that one but if you reject the Lord and his Messiah you're not the bride you don't get to be a guest you will be outside where there is what weeping and gnashing of teeth right great darkness and death you will find yourself at the great supper of God Revelation 9, 19 verse 18 says he called them to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains mighty men horses their riders the flesh of all men both free and slave both small and great In other words, there is no one who is not numbered in all of these who have fallen. The ten kings who ruled under the beast and under the harlot of Babylon, they're in this group. But so are are every smaller king who had his own little nation or his own little kingdom, established his own little place of rule. They're there captains of of the sea captains of the ships all of those we read that in chapter uh, 17 18 about all of the ships and captains um, them failing all the mighty men and their horses all of those who are consider themselves great soldiers and combatants and those who have triumphed in battle mighty men means they have proven themselves so these are these are Great warriors. And they came to do what? To do battle with God. But as the song says, your arm's too short to box with God. <laughs> you don't get a chance. He opens his mouth. I, I don't know what he said. We were talking about that before. What did, what did he say? It's done. I'm here. I don't know what Jesus says. He says something, Mm -hmm. and all flesh dies. Wow. That's powerful. What did they do? They gathered to make war. Well, that didn't happen. They They didn't get to do a thing. Maybe they fought themselves. Maybe they fought one another. They may have felt like they conquered a lot of people on the way. But they didn't get to win. They didn't even get to have a battle. They didn't get a chance. The war that they gathered for never happened. He spoke a word. And they were done. Dead. Destroyed. All the armies fully annihilated. Now in verse 20... Uh, we find in Revelation 19:20, the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which it deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped its image. So here's the here's the beast. That's the antichrist, and the false prophet. And they've been around for a while. You can read other passages about the beast. I put some references there. He's also called the antichrist. He's called the man of sin. He's called the Son of Destruction. He's called the Lawless One. Uh, so all of those different references, most of those come from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, we can read about his coming forth in Revelation 13, but also in Daniel chapter 7. And so if you want to look at those references, you can follow some of those things out. The false prophet is only mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's the only picture we get of the false prophet some of some people refer to this as as the uh, satanic or the evil trinity um satan being the one the antichrist being the second and the false prophet being the third and so the purpose of the false prophet is to do everything to cause worship to come to the beast or the antichrist and the antichrist is doing what one thing serving the rule of Satan, and so I like this passage because, without any kind of fanfare, without any big deal, it just says they're captured and thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, again, John is so anticlimactic. Where is where is it? This I, I wanted. I wanted detail. I wanted a three-hour battle at least. Right. See the Lord of the Rings, you know, the return of the king. I mean, the battle lasted on and on and on. and It's like, OK, this is this is good. You know, how many ways can you kill one of those creatures? What were they? Orcs. What orcs. orcs, whatever they were, they killed them all. But you know what? It's not even going to happen like that. It's over. He speaks a word and it's over so much for your army Now, what is the lake of fire just a little section here uh... we will see more about this as we get to the white throne judgment the lake of fire is in the greek language simply the word lake and the word fire but in other places it's also referred to as hell But there's two different Greek words translated hell in the New Testament. One is Hades, H-A-D-E-S, which simply means the grave. And so Hades is the grave. It's where the unrighteous dead go. The righteous dead go to paradise or to heaven. So Hades, in a sense, is, is the earthly equivalent of heaven, but then there's the other word, hell, which is the Greek word Gehenna. And it's found mostly in the Gospels. It's hardly used outside the Gospels and the book of Revelation. And so this, this word Gehenna uh, it has to do with the, the place that burned eternally outside the walls of Jerusalem, the Valley of Kidron. And it was kind of like a garbage dump, but they also took the, the dead there who didn't have money to have graves, and they would throw them in the fires, and they would burn and, burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. And so that got to be called the Valley of Gehenna, or Hinnom. So Gehenna means a place that burns with fire. That's what it came to be known as. And this is the word that would be better translated hell and the other translated the grave. But they don't do it that way. And so they translate them both hell and you have to try to understand which one they're talking about. Jesus makes reference to this, a place of fiery torment. In Matthew 25 he says uh, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. So he calls Gehenna eternal fire. And here we find that it is a lake full of burning sulfur. That's a horrible picture. Burning sulfur. Now when I was a kid they gave me a chemistry set and in that chemistry set were all these jars of chemicals and one of them was a jar of sulfur. A little powder. I don't know. One day, had my Bunsen burner going. I thought you know, I'm burning different things. Let's burn some of this. So I put the sulfur in a little spoon and held it over the Bunsen burner. I watched it melt. I mean, it becomes this liquid, kind of a shimmery, gold, red, yellowish. It's like really cool. All of a sudden, my mother comes running down to the basement, screaming and yelling, because the whole house smells like rotten eggs. So, plus plus it is poisonous. Uh, But, I guess that's the reason they don't give kids chemistry sets anymore. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I've been forgiven of that. Maybe not by my mom, but she's in heaven now, so that's okay. But uh, this lake of fire is just, and it burns with sulfur. It's a horrible place, but it's what? It's eternal. And so we read that this this is not a place of temporal judgment. It's a place of eternal judgment. Notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 9. It says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So being in that place is away from His presence. There is no grace. There is none of God's goodness. There is none of His mercy. There is, there is no petition. You are simply there, separated, from God for eternity. But then to add to that, look at Revelation 14. And this talks about those who take the mark of the beast and those who are going to end up here in this place called Gehenna. And it says, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So they're in this place separated from God, but they can see him like in another dimension can't get there can't reach him he doesn't listen to you he doesn't care about you there's no goodness there's no love there's no grace in his eyes there's no forgiveness there's no mercy there's nothing but you can see take the story of the rich man and Lazarus the rich man was in the place of torment but he could see he could see into where he was. He was separated, but he could see. And so in this place are all the dead. The final verse, bottom of your page, and the rest were slain. That's pretty much says it all. The rest, were slain. the rest of those upon the face of the earth, those who are not believers. This is just overwhelming. In the world's words, yeah, this is an apocalypse. But no, the real apocalypse is the revealing of the glory of God. The revealing of the fact that he is Lord and God over all these things. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Yeah, they're going to know he is Lord. They're not going to be saved by it, but they're going to know it. And all of those who are not receptive to the things of God, all of those who have lived and had the opportunity, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. You've got the years of this life and then judgment. I'm glad tomorrow night at the youth service, um, we're baptizing three, three young people. Hopefully, there will be more that will come to the youth event tomorrow night, hear the gospel, the word being preached, open their hearts, receive, and be changed from death to life. And that life begins the moment they believe. Isn't that glorious? But you're given all of your life to make that choice so thank God I know we've made this choice I'm preaching to the choir but there's so many that haven't and we need to keep that on our hearts so that we will reach out to those who need to hear